Three mornings a week, we meet before breakfast for an early morning run. We spend most of our time planning and reflecting on what's happening in our classrooms. This has become our favorite professional development. So we figured, why not share these moments with you? Welcome to Math Before Breakfast. This is episode 89. I'm Tracy Prophet. I'm Ruth Urquiaga. And I'm Jane Prophet. And before we jump into this episode, I have to we have to let you in on a secret. So every oh. every morning before we record and we have to remember what what uh, episode number we're on, Jay tells us the number and then Ruth and I tell him if it's prime or not. And so today, this morning, we realized that 89 is prime. It is. Yep. And Ruth, what did you tell us about it? It is the second to last prime number when you are studying your prime numbers to 100 because you only have 97 before you get to all 25 primes from 1 to 100. Awesome. And Jay, my, my, uh, you, you were like not sure. You asked us. And my, my way to check was that um, it's not even. I checked to see if it was divisible by three by adding up the digits to get the sum. Wait, wait. Do that one, tell me how to do that. Add you add the digits to, and then if the sum is divisible oh, by three, gotcha, gotcha. then yeah, the yeah. whole number is divisible by three, and then I just know that it's not one of the ones divisible by seven. Ninety one is yes. randomly divisible by seven. Feels like it's random. It's not really random. <laughs> Feels like it's random. It's not random. Yeah. So then, um, were you gonna say something? I was gonna try to figure out: is there like, is there a prime test, or do you just have to run it through those different oddball ones? Well, if you check. If it's not even, then it's also not divisible Two, by four, six, or eight. Right. Right. And then if it's doesn't end in five or zero. Okay. And then um So three and seven's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um and so then I happened to tell these friends of mine about this uh Twitter account that tweets prime numbers every hour. And if you want to look it up yourself, the um Twitter handle is at underscore primes underscore. And they are the prime number that was tweeted this morning is eight hundred ten thousand two hundred sixty nine, and we got pretty interested in the fact that the prime number before that, eight hundred ten thousand two hundred fifty nine, is only ten away, and the one before that was only six less. So we just had this idea that they were far apart by the time they get so big, but they're not. I wonder if we're in an unusually close period right now between them. Oh. Because, hmm. you know, I was telling you that it seems it's almost hard for me to comprehend that that big a number, there's still prime numbers. I know that they go on forever and ever on then, but like the yeah. the simple part of my brain has a hard time with that. And I want, I also think that probably eventually get to where they're a lot further away than that, but maybe not. Yeah. The jump before that was like 14 and the jump before that was about six, no, 16. So... Slightly, but not not enough to really probably count. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Yeah. I just find it so cool. So, another f- interesting fact is that there are seventeen thousand people following this account, and only eight of them are ones that I follow. And I only follow people who tweet about math. So I would have expected way more than eight of my Twitter friends to think prime numbers are as cool as I do and be following this. But <laughs> Well, this account's only been in existence for 64,000 hours. How long is that? September of 2013 is another way to say that. Oh, oh right there on the... <laughs> I see it. <laughs> 
I was like, did you think I just did that math? No, I knew you had <laughs> found like, it somewhere. Oh, that's actually September 2013. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> I was singing the song from Rent in My Head. Going, oh, wait, no, that's. <laughs> maybe when you check in a couple of weeks from now, there'll be more because people on our, who listen to our podcast will say, mm, that sounds fun. It just kind of is a little bit comforting when I happen to pay attention to it in my Twitter feed. Like, yep, prime numbers are still out there. <laughs> They're still going. <laughs> Guys, it hasn't ended yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they've tweeted 64th. 0.7 thousand prime numbers. Well, I'm assuming it says that's how many tweets they have. Okay. So today we're going to talk for real, not about prime numbers. We're going to talk about uh, multiplication fact fluency. And you might be like, uh, you talked about that before. Yes, we know. But haven't teachers like, don't we come back to it every single year in every yeah. single class? <laughs> um, so if you want to go back to hear what we've said about it before, here are some episodes you can return to. Um, episode four is called All Things Multiplication. And we just sort of, I think we kind of talked about it from the beginning and kind of moved up sort of the little, I guess the scope and sequence is that what it's called from grade to grade mm-hmm. um episode 30 we talked about the book math fact fluency by um jennifer bay williams and crew and we um that's when we met with a group of teachers from Ruth school and and talked about what we'd learned from that book and then episode 40 we talked to annalise record um and she talked to us about um math running records and or and from dr nikki newton so Certainly, we've talked more about multiplication, but those are the ones that are really about it. You want to say anything about that, Ruth, before we... No, I think we hit it because that's kind of where we're headed today yeah. is just what Dr. Nikki Newton and Annalise have provided through their math running records and yep. kind of how to implement those in your classroom yeah. and then, well, not even how to implement them because I feel like there's so many different ways that you can do it, but... We both feel like it's very beneficial, and then today we're just going to brainstorm strategies of how to do that. Yeah. So I'll back up and say that a fourth grade teacher, we were having a conversation, not really even about this, and she mentioned how they were struggling. I think they were divide. I think they were doing division probably, and she was like, "They're really struggling," and you know why? Because they don't know their multiplication facts, and you know, she, she realized that that was the the root problem. And so I said, you know, I can, I can help you with that. I could do this running record to kind of figure out where to start with helping them learn their facts strategically. Um, And she's like, oh yeah, sounds great. (laughs) So (laughs) I asked her to um, not, in this case, because we're so close to the end of the school year, I said, let's not do every single kid. Let's do the kids that you feel like are, you know, are showing signs of needing help in this area. So she gave me a list of, I think, 11 kids altogether out of two classes. Um, And so I did their running records this week. And I guess I should quickly review what that looks like if people haven't listened to the first one. Um, In a running record, in in this running record that Dr. Nikki Newton has um, created, it has, I think, about 12 or so math pro- or um, math facts on a page, and they're ordered very specifically on the page. And you hand it to the kid and ask them to say, say the product going down the page, and you record first off whether they um, have it automatic, whether they answer it within five seconds, or whether it takes them longer than five seconds to answer. And 
um, you, I also tell them you can, and this is part of it, that you can, you know, if you need to work it out on paper, you can, or if you need to use some manipulatives, and I have some base 10 blocks there, they can use like just unit cubes. Um, and, or if you need to pass, you can pass. And then after we do that page of facts, then I ask them about their strategies and I go in order, in the order that kids would, well, I guess in order from what feels easiest to maybe hardest for them somewhat. I think it's, it's interesting because this one, this assessment starts with zero and one as the first two facts that they see and the first two facts or time zero and times one and the first two facts that they, you ask them about. But remember in the, in the math fact fluency book, they said not to start with that. Do you remember why? Anybody remember why? Not to start with time zero and times one when you're teaching kids about multiplication. Oh, well, the I first thing Charlie was going to be saying. Because it's just a rule and there's no pattern? What were you going to What are you saying? Because the, the first one's always going to be the same. Okay. And, you know, maybe that's not something to practice right away. Yeah. I, 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 think the, I think the idea is that, like, time zero and times one are kind of hard to grasp the why, you know? I think, Ruth, you're kind of, like, head there, you uh -oh. know? It's kind of, like, abstract, you know? So if we can get what the operation does with times two or times five or times 10, right. um, then go back and, and think about what does, then if we know this is what multiplication means, then what does it mean for times zero and times one? Yeah. It feels. That's what I think. I think times zero and times one are confusing. Yeah. Like times everything is zero and then times one, you didn't really do anything. So. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of the beginning of an algorithm. Like just remember this rule. Mm -hmm. Anything <laughs> times zero is zero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because who really understands that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. So I assessed these little fourth grade friends and um, a, a good, a bright point okay. was that a lot of them, probably eight out of 11 or nine out of 11, know to double for times two. So... We talk, we've talked a lot about, Ruth and I have talked a lot about this, and then um, teachers at school, how oftentimes they get stuck in, if I'm going to multiply by two, I'm going to count by twos, right? Two, four, six, eight, ten, until I get to the right stopping point. Yeah, yesterday gotcha. I was helping a student after school, and she was finding the greatest common factor of 26 and 104. And so I was like, well, they're both even. You can divide them by two. And she's real quiet. I'm helping some other kids. And I look over and she's got 13 on her paper. I'm like, good. So now you have to divide 104 by 2. And she's like, I don't want to count by 2s to 104. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want you to count by 2s to 104 either. No. So then at that point, we were able to just talk strategy. Like, how about just half of 100 and then half of 4 and put those together? Yeah. Um, and she's like, does that always work? Yeah. You don't have to count by twos every time you divide yeah. a number. In so she could, she could quickly tell you half of hundred, right? Mm-hmm. And then half of four and then, okay. But half of a hundred four or, and maybe because I said, what's half of a hundred instead, what's a hundred divided by two. Right. She made that connection. Okay. okay. That's good. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, Ruth, I feel like you've had this conversation like with every single kid of in in your sixth grade because <laughs> you talk you say that like 
all the time. <laughs> every kid, every year. <laughs> yeah. But it's not necessarily something that I that I teach because I so I just feel like there are some math strategies that should be reserved for you and me by ourselves or in a small group so I can make sure that you understand why. Because I'm mm. not trying to just give you something else to remember and you to figure out when you should use it and when you shouldn't. Yeah, because then you're going to misapply um, it for sure. Yeah. Or, well, Missy e told me to do this, and so I have to do it in her class, and then you forget it. You know, I want you to understand that it works all the time. Yeah. It's not always the most efficient way, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that I noticed today, or this this week as I've been doing these, is that certain kids, I love this, certain kids have certain facts that are like ingrained in them and they use them to derive so many other things. So one hmm. kid loved six times four and he knew if he knew what four times six, six times four is, he knew it. And then he used that to figure out all these other facts. Another for another kid, it was six times six. He used that for all kinds of things. Um, for another kid, unfortunately, it was five times two. So every times two fact, he was working from five times two. I'm like, well, at least you have the ability to derive, but let's get a better one. <laughs> at least we're not starting from the beginning. Yeah. Um, but that was, I'd never seen that in, you know, in such repeated, in such a repeated way. Hmm. I don't, I don't know that I quite understand what you mean by that. Okay, so if I asked you six, this I'll give an example. Six, if I asked you what's six times seven, right. this kid who was in love with six times six said, oh, I know six times six is 36, so I'm going to add on six because I need one more group of six. So they would go 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42. Huh. I would have, my brain went right to 42. And because it is a seven, I always second guess myself and say, oh, crap, I did that wrong. And then check it real quick in my head. With what do you check it with? I don't really know. Oh. Like seven, no, seven times seven, I know is forty nine. Yeah. So maybe I backed down from that one. Okay. But it's like anything times seven, I'm like, oh man, well not anything. Like two times seven, I got that, guys. Um, but you know, six times seven, nine times seven, eight times seven, five times seven. I don't think I. It's it's those right there that. But for some time, for some reason, I know seven times seven. And you know what? Almost, I probably. If you told me seven times seven, I would go to 49 and then second guess myself. <laughs> you know, like like um, when you say a word so many times in a row that it like it doesn't have weird. any meaning. Yeah. Like it just it sounds. Mm -hmm. It's like the same thing with my sevens. It's like I know what they are, but as soon as it comes out, I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not maybe I'm not right. <laughs> and I have to I have to like double check myself. And, yeah. and I don't know why it is. And it's nothing. Something dramatic happened at school the day your teacher taught you sevens. Well, it could it yeah. could be. I, I don't remember that. In your but, subconscious. It's just that, um, yeah, it's it's something with those mid, mid sevens. I don't, I don't know how yeah. to say it, but I always second guess those. I love how when we interviewed Teresa Wills, she said she doesn't really have them all memorized. She just still derives them and just derives them quickly. So, that's you know, cool. that's what Trace told me. Yeah. My son, he's a forensic science major and has always been really, really fast in math, which... I just assumed it was because he knew his facts, and he's like, no way, Mom. I don't know. I just know some of them, and I just figure it out. You're the one who taught me how to do that. Um, so he's like, if you ask me—I what I forget what his example was. It was something like 
if you ask me 11 times 12, oh, if you ask me 11 times 12, then I always just use the distributive property and do 11 times 10 and 11 times 2 and put them together. And I can do that faster than someone can remember 132. Cool. But without even knowing that that's like a, a strategy for multiplication per se, like kids deriving facts. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, that's what I've done my whole life. I don't know that I would ever expect anybody to have outside of the tens memorized. Yeah, that used to be a thing. I've, I don't know. Yeah, so someone tweeted, I forget, I, I don't know, it was on Facebook, and he had taken his daughter to, like, IHOP because she had passed her 12th times table test. <laughs> I was like, that is an intense teacher if you yeah. are still given 12 times tables. Yeah. I, I never got... Did it used to be you have to be out of 12? Oh, I remember as a kid, yes. I remember I still am stumped on 11 times 11 and 11 times 12. I know 12 times 12, uh, but see, those I know two... the 11s. Well, no, no, I don't. I don't know them memorized. You're right. I don't. 11 times, yeah. Okay. I'm just quick with my with my strategy. Yeah, like Trace and like Teresa Wills. <laughs> you must be fluent. Good <laughs> job. <laughs> yeah. Not a bad crew to be, be, be a member of. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So, um, oh, and I just, I have to share one other thing. There was um, a student who was struggling, who had um, not a lot of, you know, a lot of these guys had um, good, fairly decent ways to derive them, and but they just were maybe slow at it and maybe didn't explain their ways to derive especially great, but they still had them. Um, but there was one friend who did not. And... However, he had the most interesting counting with his finger strategies. Have I told you about this, Ruth? Oh, uh-uh. Okay. So this is going to be tough to to describe on not camera. So I'm going to try, though. So when he counted... Okay. Let me ask you, if you had to add on nine and you I made you do it with your fingers, like, like do um, seven plus nine and add on the nine with your fingers. Everybody do that for a second. I would start with my pointer finger and add that five with my thumb would be my fifth one. And then I would use my pointer on this hand. Okay. So you're doing four, two hands, two different hands. Okay. What are you doing, Jay Prophet, to add on nine? I just picked my hands up and counted up from nine until I got. Well, where'd you start? My thumb over here. My left hand. Yeah. I just held my hands up in front of me. Okay. Like I'm looking at my hands. Uh-huh. Did I wash my hands? <laughs> and then I went one, two, three, or no, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. And you didn't, and what you left off was the thumb of your second hand. Correct. Okay. So that's interesting, Ruth, that you start with your pointer finger because this is this is where my like, what is going I wanna see on? Her, I want to see how she started with the pointer finger because your pointer finger is never at the end of your hand. So I that's just the one I put up. So if my hands are in front of me, I just would say, put seven in my head, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, and then pull my thumb out. Just like you would count when you were, I'm one years old, two years old, three years old, four years old. And then when you're five, you put your thumb. Okay. Okay. I see what you mean now. Okay. So I'm just going to step back and say, I think this part is fascinating because people (laughs) do it so differently. We, we are inventing, we invented our own strategies to count on our fingers. No one taught you like you start, you know, hold your hands out and start over here and work, you know, left to right. No one taught you start with your pinky. You start with your pointer finger, you know. Well, I think somebody did teach me to start left to right. Maybe not with my fingers, but that's 
That's okay. a natural thing for me is to yeah. look at 10 and start from the left. Okay. But, but kids invent these ways to keep track of things with their fingers that no one teaches them. So okay. he, he was, had his hand, his palm face down on the table tapping to count. Okay. And so his nine, well, his left hand was keeping track of how many nines he had. So he'd put up one every time he did another nine. You following me with that hand? So like um, he would go nine, 18 and put up a f- one finger for the nine, a second finger for the 18. So he could keep track of how many nines he was counting. So is he skip counting? No, he's counting on. Okay. And so anyway, then his keeping track of not, I hope this isn't too confusing for people listening. The, his keeping track of nine on the other hand, like counting by nine, started with this pointer finger and then middle finger, and then ring finger, and then pinky, and then back to his thumb, and then all the way to back to his pinky. So we kind of did his right hand twice to make nine, but left out his thumb the first time around. Bruce, did you get that? I you do get that. You can see my hand, so that helps. <laughs> yeah. I can't see your hand, but I do get it now. And, but then, so that was, you know, I, I would have started at my thumb. And, and gone all five of my fingers and then gone back and did four of my fingers and left my pinky off at the end. But he was leaving his thumb off first. I guess I don't understand why he had to use one hand to keep track of his nines and count up by, and add on by nine. Because he, he got to, he could probably say nine, 18 and past that he couldn't, he didn't know how many nines so he, he really had. was trying to multiplier skip count by nine but he wasn't skip count that was how he was getting there yeah okay I, it was, he was doing a different problem than us mm-hmm. that's why it threw okay me. yes there you go so then but then when he counted by sevens when he was adding on seven he still same thing started palm down t- tapping on the table starting with his pointer finger go, going to his pinky so one two three four back to his thumb five six seven stopped at his middle finger so his hmm. seven, like the shape of it, you know, he wasn't having to think through that. His shape of his seven is naturally one, two, three, four, start over, five, six, seven. Where if I, if I was trying to keep track of sevens, I would definitely start at my thumb and do five full fingers and then two more. See, I would start with my pinky if my hand was down like that. I would start at the top. Really? Yeah. One, two, three, four. How, do you, how would you count on seven, Ruth? Like on seven for me. And I would skip, maybe I would skip my pinky if I, I don't know. Hmm. I also spent a lot of years playing piano. You think that And matters? I wonder if it has something to do with the, with how that feels in my, like if you were playing down a scale, you would start up here. Huh. I don't, I don't have, I don't, I, I'm not trying to tie that to I'm piano. I'm thinking like I would really. do the same thing. As Jay? One, two, three, four, put out my thumb for five and then six, seven. Well, then that's exactly what he's doing too. Just uh, turn the other way, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Be- yeah well, he's is. starting with that finger. And if he was the kid whose mom was like, how old are you? I'm one. Well, that's the first finger that you hold up. Right. And if I'm Nobody says they're like, one. You know, one, two, three. I wouldn't start my pinky. But if I get my hands down trying to keep a pattern like that, I would start I would start on the other end of my hand. Okay. Point taken. We all do something <laughs> different. And I love it. I just think it's it's so cool. Okay. 
You didn't know you were going to get a big old lesson on counting in this episode. So now I met with this teacher. I shared the data with her. I, I shared it with her in like a spreadsheet for each kid for where they fall, where they fell. The, the assessment kind of gives them a number zero through four on each fact. And then I also gave her like a narrative of some of the interesting things that I saw, some of what I just told you. And now we're like, okay, now what do we do? So this teacher is um, teaching hybrid, which means she has the kids for only two days a week in class and then they're home three days. And with how little time she has with them in person, we were I suggested, you know, maybe this remediation needs to happen mostly at home because it it would be ideal to do it in person, but she's got a whole lot left to do. Um, So I said, what if we could create something that would help them learn how to double or learn how to, you know, for fours, double and double again, maybe we could work them through that at home. So that's where we are now, um, trying to develop that idea. So of, of what could we, I mean, I'm picturing kind of like a Google site that we put together and it's like, you, you need to get fluent at your force. Here are all the things that you walk through to, to do that. And now, okay, you're done with that. Now you move to eights and here's all the things that you walk through. And I think it's important that we, like you discuss why they're not just going consecutively like why are we going to skip becoming fluid in your sixes and sevens and go right to your eights yeah do you want me to talk about that now i think so jay were you gonna were you saying something nope okay so the um this particular assessment so we just have to note that i feel like there's a there are some differences between the math backed fluency book and um dr nikki's like order potentially. Okay. So that has them working zeros and ones and then, um, tens and then fives, because I think tens are easiest, you know, that's really easy to learn the pattern. Um, and they probably may already come with knowing it. Fives are, are easy because of skip counting. Um, and then the first one is the first one that I feel like we've been needing to remediate are the twos. Um, and so that strategy we want them to get is double instead of counting by twos. Okay. So then the strategy after that, why not go to threes basically is what we're saying is because the fours, one of the fluent, one of the strategy, the best strategies for fours is to double the, the other factor and then double it again. So it's building directly off of the twos strategy. And then the eights strategy is to double whatever the force was, or you could call it double, 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 because you're taking the other factor and doubling it three times. Which is two to the third power in exponent land. Yeah. And when kids realize that there's a relationship between double, double, double and two to the third power, it helps solidify how an exponent is different than just a repeated addition problem Mm -hmm. yeah so then it goes so it goes two fours eights then it goes to threes and the strategy that they are encouraging kids to use for threes is times two like double and then add a group so if i have to do seven times three i would do 
7 times 2 on one more group. So um, 14 plus a 7. And then 6s is, is next. And you double the, um, th the 3 amount. So you think about what it was for 3 and then double. Which all of this is using having and doubling is another way to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I all of a sudden I'm blanking about what's next. 6s. It's probably 9s. Um, and the nines being, um, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of these kids know use the finger trick. Over right. half of them yesterday used that, like put a finger down and, and see what you've got. But one kid definitely used the times 10 take away a group, which was really exciting. Hmm. Um, you know that one? I do. Okay. And then I think from there are sevens. Is that all I've left off? And yes. that could, you know, you could use times five plus two groups you could really just memorize the you know use the other number every single time for sevens and memorize seven times seven and then the last column are the square ones and i think the idea is that she really wants you to just have those memorized um i'll just get those automatic and then you could use them to derive other facts and there was one kid who those were the ones he had memorized how weird. He's like, my dad made me memorize them all. And he, he said them all up. He missed seven times seven, but every single other one he had memorized. His sevens? No, his square facts. Oh, square facts. Gotcha. Yeah. Did I answer your question, Ruth? Yeah. Okay. That's good. So let's brainstorm. Let's start with fours because most kids are starting there. I've, I have a couple, maybe two or three kids starting at the twos, but let's start with what would something online that they could work through at home pretty much independently look like for times fours? What are some components? So we kind of talked about the math flips mm -hmm. where you see the number double and then you see the number double again. Um, even if the first one, yeah, I just think that, isn't that Berkeley Everett who yeah. does math flips? Yep. He just does a really good job of animating the cards enough and the kids can see the pattern. And then once you see the pattern, you can attach those numbers mm -hmm. to it. Jay, are you picturing it or you need me to explain it? I am picturing – I have a few um, of Berkeley's animations in my head, but I don't think the ones I'm thinking about are this. So, but I also understand what – doubling and doubling again means mm -hmm. a good example that i picture in case there's someone i was sort of hoping you'd say no i don't no, know what you're can saying you explain this to thank me please? you yes i'd love to um <laughs> give us some exposition okay so picture the five what you see as a five on a die okay okay and if that was a, a five, arrangement of five dots beside another arrangement of five dots and there's like a circle around them to show you a, I have two groups of five. Okay, gotcha. So around on the, each group is a circle. Right. On the first side, you're like, oh, that's two groups of five. It's ten. And then... Wait, wait. Say that again? That's two groups of five. That makes ten. Because I've seen them in two circles. Right. So okay. you are you just look at it and kind of like say what you see. For those people at home, she had the die in two different hands and then all of a sudden they both jumped to one hand oh. and it confused me. Okay. Um, and then you flip, so if, if you're doing this on paper, you have it in a little like note card and the, you flip it to the back. If you're doing it on the Google slide, it would just be the next slide. And then, so on the opposite side, you'd see that image just repeated right down below it. So now you have four groups of five showing and you say, oh, that doubled is 10. Instead of having to add like 
5, 10, 15, 20, you can think 10 plus 10. Okay. Yeah. Ruth, but you look at that's it. That's not times 4. That's only times 2. No, it's 4 times 5. Well, but you started with 2 times 5. You didn't start with 5. We're going to use 2 times 5 to help you solve 4 times 5. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess in my head, I was thinking you were going to double the 5 and then double the 10. That would be ti- that would be um, times 8 or something. Tracy, no. No. <laughs> no. Double the 5 and double the 10. Because if I'm trying to if if I'm trying to learn my fours, okay, and I've got five, and I'm trying to learn four times five, I'm going to double that five to get ten, and then I'm going to double again to get twenty. I'm not going to start with ten if I'm trying to multiply four times five, but I did not at the time understand that you were starting from two times five. Uh huh. Okay. I was trying to get to two times five, I guess. Yeah. In, in, my, in my process. Got it. I understand now. Ooh, almost had a fight right there. <laughs> <laughs> you were trying to tell me that that 20 was five times eight. I don't know what we were talking about. And I was going to be right. We got real lost. Okay, Ruth, save us. <laughs> Jump <So> in here. <laughs> I think that you teach that strategy, but then you give students, I don't know, some kind of, I'm going to use task cards, even though those aren't my favorite thing. Yeah to think about different ways to ask the multiplication problem, like um, almost like algebra, like three times something equals 12, but something times four equals 40. And they're like a click and drag and matching the missing number in the multiplication problem or arrays of 16 where they're writing the multiplication problem and circling the group of eight and the group of 16, like to get, I don't know, just different ways to ask multiplication questions. Mm -hmm. So once you feel like you have the strategy, because let's be honest, practicing them gets you more efficient Mm -hmm. as well as knowing the strategy. You can't just have someone tell you the strategy and not practice it. So how could you make little individual slides or something where each slide is a different kind of question? I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, Like what if you had eight or you had four numbers, you had an eight and a 32 and a 24 and they had to write the multiplication problem that goes with it. Ooh, that is, um, there's a game just like, I think, just like that on Greg Tang's site where hmm. it's like a, a grid of four numbers and you pick the, th- basically you're picking the three that are a fact family, which is what you're saying. or, oh, or a, a, okay. That make a fact. Yeah. That could be good. So if you had eight, three, 24, and 32. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. You would leave out the 32. Yeah. I like that. So all, yeah, all different ways to. And then that's kind of working on division some, you know, it's kind of relating it to division a little bit. But I think about the one that Jay just said. What about the kid who says, well, 24 plus 8 equals 32. So that's my fact family. Mm -hmm. And I left out the three. Yeah. But we have to say this, you got to make a multiplication. 
Or you say, well, look, now you can use. You can do it either way you want. Yeah, you can use that eight times three plus one. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's cool. Just different ways, again, for kids to be able to show their thinking. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, Another resource that I think we could throw in there is from the Math Fact Fluency book, the purple one. Um, They've made a a website that we've talked about before. Some Kentucky teachers have made a website where they've taken a lot, not all of them, but a lot of the games that are in their book and made digital versions of them. So I feel like we could tap into that and link to those um, on the site. I mean, I mean, that's kind of the point is that we typically as teachers introduce, this is what multiplication is. And then we may jump straight to memorize it. Or we may right. say, this is what multiplication is. Here's a strategy. Now memorize it, you know. Um, and we don't give them, we don't park in the practice and derive stage, which is what they need a lot more of to get to that automaticity. Right. Wow. What? And I'm, I'm glad I don't have to teach somebody the concept of multiplication from scratch. Yeah, I love it. I think it's fun. We kind of talked about a video too, but if you Google learning your fours, there are lots of videos out there of teachers teaching the double-double strategy. Okay. Double-double. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a value meal at McDonald's. <laughs> I'll have the double-double meal. Yeah. We talked, so Ruth, yesterday when you and I were talking about it, I was like, okay, first we have to have a video. And you're like, wait, they should, they should have to name it first. You know, the kids should have to say it. So we talked about how we might have, um, go to Berkeley Everett's site and see what he already has that demonstrates that that without any words and explanation and then get them to get the kid to say it and then get the you know they, they're probably if they're going to be working at home unfortunately there's going to have to be some amount of like hey this is the strategy we want you to actually use right. it any other ideas of what could go in there not I mean, I feel like there's also benefit of, like, if you're going to do Google Slides, then maybe a student illustrates a story about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you give them the guidelines of, here's a frog, here's a pond. What kind of a story can you illustrate and tell that uses one of your strategies yeah. or one of your facts? It, so... They're copying and pasting the frogs or they're making the frog jump this many times. Mm -hmm. You made me think of two different things. Thank you. Um, One was that when we did this in class last year with fifth grade class, we used the Frager model, which is where Mm. you you split a piece of paper into four quarters. And then in the middle, you would write in in the intersection of those divisions. You'd write the fact and then you would require them to sort of show it four different ways. So the first one could just could be a model like this first box could be a make a model. The second box could be um, write the story. The third box could be um, make another model. I don't know. And then um, the last box could be the answer. But yeah, that multiple representations idea. And you could do that on Google Slides. And then another thought I had was go – so we've recently been – our school purchased a 
braining camp license. And so they could have to go and show three times four, um, four different ways, you know, use four different manipulatives oh, or yeah. something and snip them and put them in there. Like the number line one, you know, they could do groups of, but do two different kinds of groups you know, or two different, like do three groups of four or four groups of three. Um, what else? Number line. Arrays. That'd be cool. It'd be really cool. Yeah, arrays. Yeah. Girl, arrays. the relationship between arrays and Shut area up. is a struggle. Yeah. I, maybe that's like what teachers have left off their curriculum. Hmm. Are you but working on that right now? this particular group of students, we had to make lots of connections because they just didn't have it. Yeah. All right, Jay Prophet, you got any other ideas? You're like, uh, no. No, 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 no. Okay. Ruth, you have any more? Not for fours. Mm-mm. Okay. Do we want to keep going or are we – I mean, I, I was sort of picturing like once we get those things down, then we would kind of just have all the same kinds of things. Yeah, kind of just repeat them. Yeah. I'm wondering how long would we give them to learn – like to work on a set of facts and what kind of – um accountability what would the accountability look like any thoughts about that i mean ideally your accountability would be another running record and you would see improvement but i don't know that that's doable right i was thinking about i could go back in like a month you know i can't i can't do it every week but i feel like i could go back in a month and i was also thinking about um not needing to redo the whole thing. If if I got if I saw that they were fluent all the way up to twos, I should just probably start at fours, or maybe start start at two. You know, the first one that they were good right. at. Um, I don't know. I was wondering if they could do it within a week, but maybe that's too fast. Like, how much time yeah. would we want them to tackle the fours? Well, and how much do they get on the computer? I mean. Maybe There's, they get on more because they're actually hybrid and they're doing their learning there. But yeah, I would struggle with kids being efficient and, you know, doing what they're supposed to do. <laughs> right. I mean, potentially three days of the week. So if they go to school Tuesday and Wednesday, then Thursday, Friday and Monday. But I, we, we know our own kids don't necessarily make it look like that. <laughs> Jay Prophet says with his eyes um, <laughs> rolling in the back of his why. head. <laughs> it's bad. It's real bad. Um, okay. We will, um, we also, Ruth and I also talked about how we want to be careful that everything that we put on this site is something that's already shared publicly, you Mm -hmm. know, so that we can hopefully share this out as a resource that other people can use. So, um, it, you know, would be like links to things or things that we've made or things that are shared like Berkeley Everett or something like that. We we will be careful to not put something on there that we, you know, somebody paid for or is copied out of a book, that kind of thing. Okay. Ruth, did you want to end with your reflection about teachers and <laughs> what you've been thinking about lately? So to be, uh, well, to be transparent but still very professional. Yeah. I feel like I take my Twitter family for granted because you can, 
I can be in my classroom and I can want to teach something that I've taught 25 years already, but looking for a new idea. And I can go to Twitter and search MitBoss and boom, there's something new mm -hmm. because it feels like everybody's in the trenches with me right. teaching the why and providing productive struggle and doing hard work. Yeah. And then I step out of Twitter into, you know, an environment where there are other teachers and I'm constantly dumbfounded with teachers who just are completely content saying, I do it, we do it, now you do it. Yeah. What's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? And so I have an opportunity to influence some pre-service teachers and they are not easily influenced. Yeah. yeah. It's been a harder sell than you were thinking it would be. Right? Just kind of that, like, this is really good. This is what you want to do. And they are, yeah, they are wanting to teach the way they were taught. Mm -hmm. And well, when you natural. are a high school wannabe teacher— well, you were just taught that a couple years ago, so right. it's still fresh in your mind. And obviously that teacher did a really good job because now you want to be that kind of a teacher. <laughs> yeah. Right? But we've had many conversations like, listen, you were in that college calculus class when you were a junior in high school. So the students in your class really wanted to be there if they were excelling at that level in high school. And your teacher could say, I'm going to do it, you do it, it's done. Mm -hmm. But when you're signing up to teach Algebra 1, you don't have a classroom full of kids that want to be there. Yeah. So you got to step out and, you know, engage them. Right. So. And part of, part of what's making it difficult for you, I feel like, is because it's, all kinds of secondary teachers in, in the context where you're teaching. And if it was math, if it was like all only elementary math methods, I feel like you could model what you want them to do over and over and over. Every single day you could come in and let's do a math task together. Let's go, what? Oh my gosh. You know, have that <laughs> moment together. Mind blown. Um, but you're, you're just sort of having to like take my word for it, you know, this could happen. Take my word for it. This could happen. And they're not, they're well, not being able to see it. Yeah. It's stretching me because I'm trying to convince you as a high school art teacher that there can be more to your lesson than just I do, you do, we do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, how do I do that? Well, you know what? I'm going to have to find someone. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Let's see. Who does it? So... Yeah. Um, another another takeaway that I've heard from what you, I guess we're doing takeaways now. Um, Hold on. Can I respond to that first? Yeah. Or are you going to talk about that too? I had something to say about All that. Right, go ahead. Um, another thing that I've been hearing you say lately is how, how we as teachers talk about subjects that aren't our major, our favorite oh. and passionate subject. And you've, we've had a good conversation lately about yeah, you can be the math teacher, but you can't be dogging on the, the music class or the English class. You've, you have got to represent what it's like to be a well-rounded learner, even if it's not what's in your gut. You know, you've got to protect what you say to each other. 
to the kids about other subjects. Okay, off my soapbox. You go, Jane. That's a good one. Um, What Ruth was talking about, you know, she she said that these students were good students, or that's you know that they've learned it well enough that they want to go and teach it. And working with college professors every day, I have found that. and, you know, I did not do a study on this. There's nothing coming out. No, no I can't show you the, the data just from my working with and what I've, what I've you know, remembered is that the, the faculty that I worked with, the professors that say they were not good students and then they struggled are the ones that are quicker to look for different ways of teaching. Mm-hmm. The, the professors that were good students, loved this thing from day one, and, you know, it's all they ever want to do is be a professor – and I'm not saying not, they're inflexible, but they're the ones that are most comfortable with this is how I was taught, a traditional way of that's how I learned it. This is how I'm going to teach it. We're just going to we're going to keep this line going forever and ever. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple people that I've worked with lately that, um, you know, I have worked with them in, in one facet and, and they are and they are very innovative. We're going to do it this way or we're going to bring this or we're going to try this. And then you come later to find out they were bad students. Like they barely made it out of high school mm-hmm. and somehow through experiences between then and now decided to get into academia and be a professor. And, and those are the people that are, again, not, I'm not going to say this is always the case, but in my experience, those are people that are most likely to find those different ways of doing it or try something different. That's cool. I like that. I bet that, I bet that's a true correlation. in, in so most cases. just this week I was talking to, the algebra teacher in my building because I was trying to have him teach me about something so I could take it back to one of my students. And the conversation ended with, you know, Ruth, you have always been the most out-of-the-box thinker, teacher that I have ever met. And Jay, I would say that that is because I struggled through math. I didn't make it to calculus. Like, Algebra 2 was how far you had to go to graduate high school, and I made it to Algebra 2. And I always got Cs. I worked hard, but I always got Cs. And so when a student is sitting in my class and looking at me, like silently shaking their head or making their eyes big, like I don't get this, I totally feel them. Like I remember feeling like that. I still remember in second grade, the little mouse that came out of the ones place and walked over to the tens place to get 10 pieces of cheese to come back. I just was so, <laughs> so confused and frustrated. Um, I will have to say that halfway through that sentence, I thought you were still talking about a mouse. Like, There's a mouse that walked out of the room? <laughs> no, just the whole because like. Because I'm not a math teacher, that, you know, that uh, analogy is not yeah. readily available in my brain. Yeah. My take. Oh, go hard. Well, I was gonna. I was gonna bring us to takeaways. We've talked yeah. about prime numbers. We've talked about multiplication, <laughs> assessment, and remediation. We've talked about counting strategies. We've talked about getting convincing pre-service teachers to break the cycle. So we talked about a lot of things. So, what's did. your takeaway today? My takeaway is not math related. Okay. Uh, earlier, I talked about um, my sevens, my seven multiplication facts, and yep. always saying them and thinking I'm wrong. And compared it to saying a word so often, saying a word so many times that it loses its meaning and okay. just becomes sounds. And that process or that that phenomenon is called semantic satiation. Whoa! And it's a <laughs> it's a real thing in which the saying a word over and over so many times makes it lose meaning, and it's just a collection of sounds. And it's like it becomes almost um, unfamiliar That's again. So funny. 
So I wonder if there's numeric satiation. I don't know. Is that the word? Satiate? What is Semantic satiation. Oh, cool. What in the world did you Google to figure that out? Saying a word until it sounds weird. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> well done with your searching um, well, skills. Done, well done, Google, for understanding yeah. that sentence. <laughs> Ruth, what's your takeaway? Well, if I have an opportunity to have takeaways with prime numbers, yeah. I absolutely have to. Do it. Do it. So... I, yeah, I'm just, I count by prime numbers all the time. And I told Tracy and Jay that I was counting out five post-it notes because we were doing this activity and every single class period, every single kid had to have five post-it notes. And so I said to my students, does anybody know what I'm doing when I'm giving you their notes? And they're like, you're counting one, two, three, four, five. I'm like, no, I'm counting two, three, five, seven, eleven. <laughs> Wow. And That's awesome. Not very many kids, like, even got that. Like, what is that? And then someone's like, oh, that's the first five prime numbers. So, did, and my other favorite thing to do is to go, oh, my word, yeah. and walk away. <laughs> um, is to tell people on their birthday. Like, I'm always taking people's birthdays and making math equations and finding prime numbers. And the other day, um, of a colleague's child turned nine and I wrote on his Facebook page or on his mom's Facebook page, I'm like, well, it's not a prime year, but it's a square year and you won't be a perfect square for seven more years. And that number's prime. And his mom was like, we were so confused. <laughs> imagine. But, <laughs> yeah. Imagine. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah. Prime numbers rock. <laughs> yes. My, my takeaway is what Ruth said about thinking of interesting but related ways to ask multiplication questions um, as part of what we create for them to do at home. Like I'm really I'm really thinking about the choose three numbers or what's the missing number or, you know, doesn't always have to be this times this is what. Um, there can be, I should be a little more creative than that. So I'm going to be looking for other ways. Um, I like that. That was good. All right. We'll report back in, I don't know, it's probably going to take us a month to get this together, but We'll report back and let you know how it's going. It could be a month for the next episode comes out. Who knows? You know, let's be honest. <laughs> All right, Ruth, it's the weekend, so I'll see you on Monday for a run, right? All right, sounds good. All right, bye. Bye. bye.